Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast where we won't let one bad day keep us from bringing you a show. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Grab your camera, hop on the ghost train, and get ready to crack up and go stark slavering buggo. We're talking the killing joke. Hello, Ben. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing great now. Now that I'm in the booth and I'm looking at my buddy, and well, I guess not all the Now that I'm looking at my buddy, ah! there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it's an ironic uh, intro there because we did have, well, I had one bad day over the weekend and it, uh, it kept us from recording on time. But, um, you know, you're still getting a show this week. It may be out on time. It may be a few hours late. Get over it. Get over yourselves. Who do you think you are? We got lives, too. I'm going to get this thing out on Tuesday. It might be Tuesday night instead of Tuesday morning, but uh, I don't think the, you know, the masses are going to kick down our door wondering where it is. Shit, that means I have to crank on a drawing tomorrow. Aha! Yeah. Oh, we're supposed to go on a date, man. The kid's going out of town. Guess you need to draw it tonight, then. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> ah. um, so here we are. We're, uh, we decided to take a break from the movies and the TV shows and the... What else do we do? Stuff. Video games. Video, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I was thinking about, about comic books and how, like, you know, it, there are certain graphic novels out there that have made a cultural impact on their own. So it doesn't have to be, you know, an episode about Superman or Batman or the X-Men. Like, we could we could dissect a story, you know, and uh, and this was on my short list here, the, uh, the old killing joke. I mean, in my opinion, and I know this isn't an original one, but it is mine also, uh, this is the greatest Joker story ever told. Oh, yeah, yeah. For me, the, the killing joke is... It kind of defines the Joker for me. I think it, it is the Joker done right. It, it's kind of the 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 bar that all other Jokers need to to measure up to. Yeah, like this one. This one distills the essence of like you know. I mean, there there have been so many different iterations of Joker over the years, whether they're goofy or sinister, or uh, you know, cuts his own face off in the more recent years. I don't need that. That's that's a bit too gruesome. But like this Joker, like he's everything for me like he's he's a ham and he can't resist telling a joke but at the same time he's also just as like cold-blooded and you know like a cruel maniac as he ever is he's terrifying yeah like you you don't want to fuck with this guy he is fucking loony he's lost his mind and uh he's as much of a sociopath as he is a uh jokester he doesn't ever come off as campy like he's not a uh, what was it Caesar Romero yeah yeah Joker where he's he's a little over the top and silly like he's making jokes but they're not tasteful there they are at, at inopportune cruel times yeah yeah and he he's not like he will crack a pun but he's not doing it because he thinks he's hilarious you know like it, it's a more unhinged and in my mind when I read it like when he does crack a joke most of the time it's like it's in a pretty disturbing tone. Like, like it's like, it's like semi jovial, but also going to murder you ish. Yeah. Or having just <laughs> shot you. Yes. <laughs> a 
Do we want to do some background on it or first impressions first? Yeah. I don't think we could take it for granted that everybody knows what we're talking about, that everyone listening has read The Killing Joke or is even familiar with it. They should be. Yeah. And if they're not, uh, go out and read that shit. Yeah, it's about to get spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just knock out some first impressions real quick. Um, what's your first impression of the book? Cause I imagine mine was earlier on than yours. Definitely. Like, so, so my first impression of the book was like hearing whisperings about it and it was probably in like early high school, maybe. Oh, okay. So it's probably not far off from mine. Yeah. It's probably early high school. Just kind of hearing about it. I remember seeing the cover at like the comic store with, you know, Joker and his big smile and the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just kind of like hearing people say like, fucking the shit's legit. You know, like, I think I heard that, uh, you know, some of the things that happened in the book before I ever read it. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up in a time where Barbara Gordon being paralyzed was already yeah, was a, a thing. normal thing. Yeah. Cause this book came out in 1988. We were six years old. So we certainly were not reading adult, uh, flavored comic books then. Yeah. I remember hearing about like naked Jim Gordon and. Naked Barbara Gordon, like lots of naked Gordons <laughs> and fucking people getting shot and just, yeah, it being, a, you know, not a fun romp, like a, a serious thing. But I don't think I actually read it until later on in high school, likely at your behest. I probably, I never bought a copy of it. So I, I read somebody else's copy at some point. Yeah. I, I think logic would dictate that it was mine. Yeah. And, uh, and just, and remember like just loving this joker like yeah. reading it thing like oh fuck yeah i i get i get him i get why people are scared of him now that is fair because you know i like i was familiar before that with like the 89 batman mm-hmm. you know the jack nicholson batman and or uh you know joker so oh, yeah <laughs> i mean you may as well call that movie the jack nicholson batman because <laughs> it, it was his movie more than it was michael keaton's yeah and this is definitely a, a different take on joker mm-hmm what about you? When did, when did you get into this thing? Um, I've I've got a little bit of a two-parter um, for my first impression, as I feel like I've been doing a lot with these things where we're supposed to be saying one thing. I'm like, well, let me just squeeze in a second one. Um, I feel like the, the earliest impression I have of anything from the book was uh, I was reading an article in Wizard Magazine, and I think it was it was like a list of the most like disturbing panels in comics or or something like that. Uh, maybe his most disturbing stories, and they were talking about Killing Joke. But I remember one panel from it that that they had in that article where it was uh, it's Joker when he's you know when he's uh, he's in his amusement park place and like you know he's torturing Jim Gordon and Gordon's trying to ask like you know what are you doing or like oh, yeah. why am I doing this and he's sitting on top of a pile of baby dolls on like a throne and there's like torches and shit and he's just like he's all shadowed yeah he's leaning back all all you know his legs are all spread wide like it's just a really creepy creepy image and and he's just saying you're going you're going crazy and like i that panel just stuck out to me and that's still my favorite panel in the entire comic book yeah, what, yeah, what does he say? Something like, you're doing what any civilized person would do, going mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, from there, like, I, I, I remember, like, every time I read this book, I go back to the first time I read it at, at the start of that, when you see Batman entering Arkham and, you know, he, he, 
passes Gordon. And, and like the, so much of this is just visual storytelling. There's no, no dialogue at first. And then he goes into Joker's cell to have his speech about, you know, like, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. I don't want to die, you know, but, but that's where we're headed and like appealing to Joker. And Joker is just like, just heavily shadowed, just fucking creepy as fuck. Like his, his face, you know, in, in those deep shadows and, um, and leading through that whole scene to when, you know, he discovers it's not actually the Joker and, you know, like the way Batman, like his anger and his rage in his face, like it, it's all so striking to me. So that, that opening scene was, you know, something that, that is, that's seared into my brain. So every time I read the story, I'm, I'm, I'm right back there the first time. Well, something I never thought about until the, the latest read through of it is, uh, the balls on that guy. Oh, the guy playing, playing Joker? Yeah. Yeah. Just like Batman comes in and starts talking to you and you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking stone face ignore this guy. He'll go away eventually. Like, what are you getting out of this guy? He was probably just stoked that the Joker didn't kill him. Like, he he interacted with the Joker and survived, which is probably like a 50-50 odds, you know. Yeah, at best. Yeah. Um. So the Killing Joke came out in 1988. This book... I think it's safe to say, at least until more recently, that it was, you know, it attempted to lay down like the closest thing to a Joker origin story that had ever been laid down because Joker is notoriously, you know, he does not have a secret identity. You know, where, where does he come from? Nobody actually knows. He is, he is just a force of nature. Yeah. And this is definitely a Joker book. Like Batman's in it. Mm-hmm. But this this is a Joker story through and through. He is the main character in it. And, uh, you know, Batman is just around. Yeah. And, you know, like, he, he interacts. But, I mean, this this is not a Batman story. It's not about Batman at all. Yeah, it's using Joker as a study to, you know, it, it seems like their whole theme was just, like, one bad day, you know, can make even the, the sanest person go crazy. And, you know, it is interesting when you, when you juxtapose it against Batman, because like, even though he didn't go down a murderous route, like he had one bad day and that also cracked him oh, and, yeah. and made him insane. Yeah. B- Batman's not a well-balanced individual. No, <laughs> <laughs> He's got some mental health issues that he needs to work through. And I like that Joker calls him out on it. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, and I think the book, it explains like where Joker came from, kind of what he went through. And the story, you know, the contemporary part of the story is him kind of trying to justify his worldview, essentially, and say, look, look, I'm right. Like, this is this is what you're none of you are better than me. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone could be right where I am at any point, And I'm going to prove it to you, Batman. Yeah. that That's his aim in the book. Yeah. And, and so they introduce this story that, that Joker's telling, like they, they do it in. I mean, you're in his head. It's like he's remembering, even though later on it's it's sort of. It's still up for debate, but, you know, Joker previous to this in comic books was, you know, all you knew was he was the red hood and during a botched whatever in a chemical factory with Batman, he fell into a bunch of chemicals, bleached his skin, turned his hair green and gave him a, a, a permanent grin. And that's all we ever really needed to know. But in this one, it weaves in, you know, the story of a, of kind of a, pathetic man who's yeah. who's i mean he's got a Desperate, wife yeah. for sure yeah he's got a wife who's uh who's got a uh, a kid on the way he's a failed comedian 
and he's going to take on this uh, this one job to lead some gangsters through a uh, through a chemical factory. And I mean, getting into that right there, like it's probably just as well that things played out the way they did because those guys were going to fucking kill him. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he's he's sitting there in the bar, like talking about how he's going to be rich and and it's going to provide a new new uh, life for him and his family. And no, 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 they're they're definitely going to kill him afterwards. Yeah, he was a fucking mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his. You know, he finds out that his wife died in a baby bottle heater testing accident yep. or something. One in a million chance. <laughs> like, like, what a weird choice that was. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that came from. Like, it, it could have just been a car accident. But why not make it a, a, a baby bottle heater accident? Yeah, maybe they were going for the, you know, something that is so out of the blue that it, that it's like, you couldn't relate to it. You know, like if it was a car accident, too many people could relate to it and be like, well, no, I'm, I had a loved one that died in a car accident and I didn't, that didn't make me go crazy. Fuck this guy. You know, but it's like, Hey, if something, if something, if you had the worst day of your life, you know, through like, like say a piece of luggage fell from an airplane and hit you in the head and, and killed you. Like, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with yeah. the world? Who's got it out for me? Yeah. What did I do? So what I liked was it's it's making up this origin story that still ties into the origin that we knew for the Joker. You know, they 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 made the the story that you know these gangsters tell him to dress up like this guy, the Red Hood. You know, and and they're you know saying, oh yeah, you know it's reserved for the special people in the crew and whatnot. Yeah, you know, it made Joker more of a more of a hapless character than. You know, I was already a criminal and then I went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he stuck his toe in the pool and, uh, it fucked him. Yeah. <laughs> it all went south from there, you know? Boy, it led us to one of the greatest panels in comic books where, you know, after he crawls out of the, uh, the acid bath and pulls off the, uh, the hood and then you have like his big, like hands in his hair, like laughing thing. Like that's gotta be one of, if not the most iconic Joker image out there. Like it's yeah. on T-shirts and posters and and um, animated movies. Yeah, a little he's, too he's literally. grabbing his head and it's just, the entire background is taken up with ha 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 yeah. ha ha. Yeah, I love that panel. Um, in this book, we also had the paralyzing of Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. Yeah, he shoots her right in the gut. Yeah, point blank, and and he he must have done that very. Um, purposefully because he was ready with those uh with those oh. jokes about about spine damage and uh not walking out of the library anytime soon uh, yeah just a whole slew of, of literary jokes and i fucking love that I, I love that he just like she he opens the door she's surprised he's got to shoot her right away because she's batgirl for fuck's sake or i think she was formerly batgirl at this point. yeah she had she had retired but she's still uh not someone you want to hold a gun on for any length of time. Yeah. There's so much fucking good visual storytelling. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, where, where you don't need word balloons to tell what's going on. Like you see Joker with these like beady little white eyes coming out of the shadows of his hat. And then you see, you know, the gun and then the shocked look on her face and then the fire and then her following, falling back. Like it was such good storytelling. Like you, it, you didn't need to fill in any gaps. Like it was telling you the story so clearly and like you, you could feel the emotion you know, coming out of Batgirl in that moment, or yeah. Barbara. and you didn't need her to be like, the Joker. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I, feel, I feel like happens a lot now. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone's got to tell you what's going on all the time instead of just showing you what's happening. Yeah, we've circled back to the old Stan Lee days where like, as you see somebody buying a paper, it's like, so I'm going to go buy this paper and take a look at the sports section. And and Joker's wardrobe choice for that scene is uh, unique. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and some shorts. It's like he's like he just got back from vacation. Yeah, like a Panama hat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> and it's, it's the only time he's wearing that in the whole fucking book. But I guess he just got, you know, I guess he did just get out of Arkham. So he's going on vacation to... Uh, kidnap someone yeah and he's got the camera and you know so it's like he he's got like a very tourist you know vibe to him yeah like yeah he's is except his form of tourism is uh is maiming and kidnapping yeah because then his guys <laughs> beat the fuck out of gordon right there and then uh and then he decides he's gonna undress batgirl and take some pictures of her i didn't feel like it was implied so heavily in the uh in the comic book itself but it's well, and I, and we'll talk about the animated movie after this, but it seemed like in the animated movie, it was more heavily implied that he straight up raped her. Yeah. Which doesn't seem very jokery. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the rapey type. Yeah. Like even, even him banging Harley Quinn seems like kind of a stretch. He doesn't yeah. seem like the type that would, that would fuck. Would he let one of his thugs do that? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. That that might be stealing too much of the spotlight. Yeah, that's that thug true. would probably yeah. die afterwards. Yeah. Like he he might let him and then regret his decision and kill him for it. Or let him fully intending to kill him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like shoot him in the head right as he finishes, and so he falls on top of her. And it just makes it worse for everybody. Because <laughs> he's a fucking psychopath. Yeah. When Batman goes to visit Barbara Gordon later on in the hospital, like she's got a very emotional scene where she's like clearly terrified. And she says things like, 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 you know, you should have seen his eyes. Like he's something's changed. He's taking it to the next level this time. And I think that's true. I think that's what, what they were trying to do in this book where they're like, Hey, no more fucking, ugh, no pun intended, clowning around. Like, like this is fucking serious business. Yeah, no more, you know, there's no Joker fish. There's no, uh, you know, it's not bank robberies. It's not uh, some Giant some typewriters. Sort of, yeah, yeah, some goofy-ass capers. We're down to, to good old kidnapping, torture, murder, you know, the classics. Yeah, and we're going to show you Jim Gordon's wiener. Or, or at least a little bit of it sticking out from, from a shadow. Is there a wiener shadow in yeah, there? Yeah, man. Here, let me show you. That should have been my first impression. There's a lot of his butt. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Harry Gordon butt. Oh, did I turn right? I turned right to the page! Nice. You've got that dick <laughs> memorized. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. A little cocky there. Little, 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 little wiener little and a little ball. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody freaked out on that one like they did when Batman's ding-dong showed up. And they were a little less subtle with Batman's dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can see the lilt. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, all, all of these examples here is something that, that, um, that was essential to this story being what it was, is that this was a, you know, prestige format. I mean, it, it's technically a graphic novel, maybe a graphic novella, because it's only like 65 pages long. Is it even that? I thought it was like 46. Oh, yeah. Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, I think it it's was like, only like 48. I yeah. think it's like, it's essentially two books. Yeah, it it is barely longer than the first issue of Space Oddities coming out soon, folks. 
Yeah, yeah, because it, it came out kind of like on its own. It was one big thing. It wasn't split up into multiple books, which I think served it well. It is definitely the kind of story that, that like, you wouldn't want to wait a week in the middle of this. Like, where would you break it? Maybe after Batgirl getting shot. So you're like, oh, no, what the fuck happened to Batgirl? It's a good cliffhanger, but but I think, you know, breaking it up at all kind of messes with the pacing a bit. Like, yeah. it's, it's definitely, and it's not that long, it's not so long that you would need to break it up. You know, it's just best throw out a, a, an extra, like a double long book. Yeah, and it's got a start and a finish, and it is, you know, thanks to to that format, it is not for children at all. No. Um, and well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know why I needed to say that because we just got done talking about dicks and and, uh, and dicks and rape, rape and murder. And yeah. yeah, yeah. This yeah, is like, uh, like you actually see some some brief little little uh, panels of of a naked naked Barbara Gordon. You know, like you don't see any vagina, but I mean, you see her topless. Yeah, and you see her not hairy butt. Yeah, <laughs> bloody. <Ugh. laughs> yeah. But this came from the mind of uh, of Alan Moore, who is not unknown, especially in the world of, no, uh, yeah. of adult superhero comic books. Like he had uh, two years prior, he'd written Watchmen, which yeah, he was. I mean, he was basically coming off a of Watchmen when he did this. Yeah, I think lore has it that he yeah, he was coming up with Watchmen, or yeah, he'd just come off a of Watchmen, and. Uh, Brian Boylan wanted to do a Joker story, and so he wrote a Joker story. Oh shit! Seems like something Alan Moore could just crap out. That motherfucker, that that old that old curmudgeon, brilliant Satan worshiping son of a bitch. No, I don't think he's actually Satan worshiping, but I I think he's referred to himself as a Satanist. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't know. Back and forth, but you know, yeah, like he he he'd done the adult take on comic books with Watchmen. Like he'd revolutionized Swamp Thing. You know, a couple of years before that, and you know, he was part of that that '80s British invasion that yeah. that just revolutionized comic books. Uh, in my opinion, for the better, and some people's opinions for the worse. You know, something like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns in '86, like that, definitely set a new standard that a lot of people felt the need to um, imitate, and to some degrees of su- success. Yeah, not everyone imitated it well. Yeah. But it, it was definitely a departure from the old, you know, like Stanley era type of superhero story. Yeah. Uh, this was a lot more serious, a lot grittier, a lot darker. And according to him, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he's referred to it as like not a particularly compelling story. Like, like he just thinks it's kind of boring and whatever. He's, he's not a big fan. Of, of like, Killing Joke specifically? Yes. Really? Yeah. Fuck, fucking Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> he never sees the movies that are based on his properties. He never has anything nice to say about anything. But uh, God bless him for, for bringing, uh, bringing this to our lives. Yeah, whatever. He doesn't need to be happy about about what he's done or what other people did. Keep doing it. Yes. Because I yeah. like it. Yeah. I, I benefit from, from whatever stuff you crap out onto the page. Um, and like you mentioned, the artwork of Brian Boland. Holy shit. This guy... You know, and and I don't know how much stems from the Killing Joke being you know my favorite Joker story ever, but like his Joker is the yeah. definitive Joker. It's got that kind of narrow, the narrowing face with the long chin and the big ass creepy smile. Yep, and and the way he does the hair too, like like the like the unruly crop out the top rather than like the the traditional little like wavy pointy on the side like Garcia Lopez. A little too one. done up. 
Yeah, like, like Joker's not combing his hair that meticulously. <laughs> yeah, he's a nut job. And I liked how um, how when they're doing the flashback scene with when they're putting on the red hood hood, you know, the guy's like, you got a weird shaped head. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, I, I like that, you know, because <laughs> it doesn't make sense that acid would would like elongate your chin. Yeah, like, yeah. I could see it bleaching your skin and changing your hair color and maybe giving you like I think in the 89 Batman, like, you know, the the surgeon talks about like nerve damage and like like that's that's a good explanation for your mouth being turned up into a into a grin. And I like how he he did the, you know, the pre Joker joke. Did he have a name? No. I was going to say, he didn't, did no, he? No, he does yeah, not have no a name. name. Yeah, because yeah. he still, still don't know who he is. But the you know pre-Joker dude still looks physically like Joker, but not with not as exaggerated. Like yeah. They, they resemble one another still, and he doesn't look like some weird dude. He looks like a semi-normal guy. Yeah. So you kind of, the linkage there is, is, is fairly clean. And I love the uh, the panel transitions when he goes from uh, from flat or like to and from flashbacks to the other world. Like there's there's like a like a panel transition where you know in after the first one, like the pre Joker Joker is like you know looking down at his wife and like putting out his hand to her, and then the next panel is like Joker at like a laughing clown booth thing, yeah. and you see his reflection, and he's got a sad look on his face. And I'm like, man, like that, that's another thing we, we didn't get before this is like a Joker, you know, like a Joker who feels sadness and, and pangs of, of actual real emotion and not just maniacal goofy. Like, I mean, you mentioned Joker fish earlier, like that's probably my second favorite Joker story that the, that Englehart yeah. and Marshall Rogers run on, on Batman was so fucking good. And that, that Joker story is classic, but you know, it, it's, it doesn't have the weight. That, that that killing joke does. And even in Killing Joke, you only see like flashes of that. Yeah. Like he's he doesn't sit around being sad or upset for any length of time. It's just there's, you know, little little glimpses of it is all, which I think is really all there is in Joker. You know, in, in the Joker in my mind. Like, yeah, it's there occasionally and it'll pop up here and there, but it's 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 gone as fast as it came. Yeah, it's a very like like bipolar, yeah. you know, like manic depressive, like you know, one moment you're, you're nuts and goofy. The next moment you're sad. And, and like, if somebody walks in on Joker when he's in a sad moment, like you can imagine that he would just like flip out and fucking kill him real yep. quick. Yeah. Yeah. It transitions very quickly to rage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Brian Bolin, the way, the way he draws Joker's mouth too, like, like with like the, you know, big teeth and just, just sharp grin, a lot of gums. Yeah, and it doesn't look goofy. It looks terrifying. Yeah. Like, if I saw that Joker in real life, I would be fucking horrified. I'd be, I'd be running for my life, probably. And, and um, whenever I draw a Joker, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think I ever get anywhere near it, but, like, that is always the Joker in my mind that, that I'm drawing. You know, that, that thin chin, the big teeth, the big grin, the, the wild hair. Like, that's, that's my Joker. Fuck your Joker, if it's if it's a different one. <laughs> Another character that Bolin draws slightly uniquely um, is his Batman. I remember as a kid being a little turned off about the way he draws the ears. Yeah, they got they, like they, a curve. Yeah, they like yeah. come out from the top and then curve in a little bit. But now when I look back, like that that is to me like a, a definitive Batman as well. I mean, the rest of the Batman suit 
was very standard, very professional, very beautiful Batman art. Um, but yeah, like I, I like those ears and, and like a lot of times when I'm drawing Batman, I'll, I'll do a little flair on it too. So that I, even though my style is like, if you looked at my drawings, you would not say, oh, this guy's influenced by Bolin. Cause I'm, I'm not, I haven't studied him. This guy is a master on another level with all of his little details and lines and stuff. Like he's, his, his brilliance cannot be touched by my pencil. So th- there's no denying you know, how much you should love and appreciate that kind of artwork, whether or not you can do it. I like the tall ear Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the little teeny stubby ears. Yeah. Fuck you, Frank Miller. Yes. I'm I'm not a fan of Frank Miller's Batman at, at all. Even in Dark Knight Returns? Yeah. Yeah. He's just a fucking fridge. (laughs) Yeah, he really is. He's a, he's a a fucking tank of a man. Yeah. And I just, (laughs) I I don't know. I just don't like it that much. I like a a little bit more svelte Batman. I like the, I like the tall ears. Yeah. I didn't like Miller's Batman when I was a kid. I think once I really got into the actual story of the Dark Knight Returns, like it fit for me, but yeah, I wouldn't want that to be regular Batman. And he has had some peepy little ears for some long runs now. And I don't like it. I mean, I like that book. I like the story. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the look of that Batman very yeah. much. And it like, it looks more like, well, like possum man or something. I don't know what those little <laughs> ears, those aren't bat ears. <laughs> Badger man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to have to do an episode on, on dark Knight returns one of these days. I think, I think it's permeated pop culture enough to warrant it. If this one does. So I guess another aspect we could talk about in the, uh, in the production of the comic is John Higgins colors on the original version, because I mean, there, there are multiple versions now before going back and looking at it again recently, I had forgotten how, I guess, interesting John Higgins colors were like, they, like, it's almost like a rainbow at times. Like it, it, it is, it is such an abstract way to color it. And I, and it seemed more normal back when I read it, you know, when I was younger, Yeah, like it didn't strike me as, as, as unconventional. Cause a lot of, a lot of the comics back then kind of did that, you know, that wash where like a background character would just be like a purple, like a solid purple, like they yeah. wouldn't color individual details on a lot of the characters if they weren't front and center. Yeah, totally. That was pretty common back then, but like, Modern comics hardly ever do that now. Yeah. You know, it's all digital stuff. And so that you go through and you put all the little details and shading in on pretty much everything. And uh, so going back and looking at the original colors was was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it was, uh, what, like 2008, I think. Oh, yeah. It was the 30th anniversary or 20th anniversary. The book you have is yes. 30th. Yeah. Yeah. I, I let you borrow the, um, the absolute edition that came out a few years ago. And, but I think it was in 2008 when they put out the first like deluxe anniversary edition where Brian Bolin went through and recolored everything yeah. digitally and to, to, you know, modern standards. And while it is beautiful, like I feel like it lost something, you know, like I, I actually prefer to, to read the, uh, the Higgins version yeah i i like i like his heavy use of like orange there's so much orange there's a lot of orange everywhere you know and i mean speaking of losing things like when they redid it bolin took away the fucking yellow oval that son of a bitch my batman has gray and blue (laughs) and a yellow oval it's like it's like rambo's haircut no i mean i'm used to batman not having the oval at this point but what what bums me out when I look at that is that it still has like the peepy little bat symbol that would be sitting inside an oval. 
So it just looks so tiny on his chest. Like no, these days, you know, there's a, there's a big black bat on his chest. I don't know. It just, it throws it off for me. But yeah, I, I, I love the old colors. I liked them both. The, that, that 30th anniversary edition is fucking cool because it has both of them in there. So you could kind of flip through them and kind of check out the differences. And I mean, it's stark. It, it's, uh, it's like two totally different feelings in yeah. the book as you read through it. I was reading the the thing in there that John Higgins wrote about his process when he was doing it. And I guess like he just kind of ha- got handed to him and didn't have time for any feedback and kind of just had to get it done quick. And so he just kind of, you know, he, he said he was, he ran with his artistic vision on it. They, they hired me. They like what I do. So I'm going to do what I do. Yeah. And they don't have, you know, they're not, they don't have time to give me feedback. So this is what they're going to get. <laughs> you know, it took him a while to learn that, uh, Brian Boyland hated it. Oh, did no not like shit. his colors at all. And I guess it like, it was like two years later, he was at a convention and Brian Boland was somewhere else. And like one of, one of the fans like came over and was like, yeah, I was just talking to Brian Boland and he, he mentioned how much he hates the colors from killing Joe. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I didn't think he was a big fan of them, but uh, okay. Wow. So that, that was probably a, a big win for Boland when he got to go back and, and recolor it. Yeah. Like, well, finally it, I get to present my vision. And it's, it doesn't sound like John Higgins took it personally or anything like i mean he's just like yeah i mean he just had a different vision we didn't really get much time to talk about it it doesn't surprise me that it would be different i'm stoked that he got a chance to do what he wanted to do on it but one of the cool things he was saying was that he was when he was doing it he was coloring it from joker's perspective oh he was using reds for like action and tenseness and and kind of you know using his thoughts on what joker's perception and emotions were when deciding what colors to do and he feels that like what what uh, Boland was doing is more from it's it's a little darker and and a little bit more um, cold because it's more from like maybe more from Batman's perspective of this madman's on the loose doing these things and not from Joker's crazy mind. Oh shit! Now that I've got the book back from you, I am really looking forward to flipping through these. Yeah, that, and, that's some cool perspective. Yeah, it was really neat. Like I read that and kind of like flipped through. I'm like, oh, that is fucking that is an interesting way to look at it that's kind of cool wow yeah i mean and i can i guess i can understand what what boland would be thinking because having gone through this whole process myself with with our comic book and testing out colorists like imagine if one of the colorists that we didn't use you know we just said like okay here's money color the whole book and then and it's like but and we gotta we gotta go with whatever it is and then i got that back from someone who didn't necessarily fit my vision for it yeah, I'd, I'd be bummed myself. I'd be like, all right, so what do I do now? I mean, I guess I could color it on my own, but I don't think I'd feel as comfortable with it as Bolin did. Yeah. And this was, I mean, like I said, he, he had Alan Moore write it because, I mean, if you have if you have the option to have Alan Moore write something, you should probably do that. Yeah. Your British comic buddy, Alan Moore. Yeah. Uh, but like his original idea, like he wanted to do the whole thing himself, like every step of the way. You know, oh, he, really? he, like he wanted to do a Joker book all the way through on his own, but, uh, you know, who's got the time for shit like that? <laughs> no shit. I mean, it already <laughs> took them, you know, a couple of years just to make the book. Cause yeah. Bolin with all of his detail, he is not a speedy artist. And that's why for, you know, the vast majority of his career, he's been a cover artist because he, he makes beautiful striking images, but you know, like I, I can't even remember the last like full interior he did. Yeah, I mean like for real. Wow. If he's yeah, with how much I bet he gets paid for covers, he probably doesn't 
It probably doesn't bother him. No, fuck no. DC's like, hey, we need a Joker cover. And he's like, ching. <laughs> I mean, and he's all digital these days, too. So I, I'm sure he's sped up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, his stuff is still just as beautiful. Well, and, and he definitely went through and retouched up some of the line art, too, I noticed. Yeah. Like it, it, when I was flipping through and there's like the, the shot right before Barbara opens the door and sees the Joker. And she's like turning back and like smiling and saying something to Gordon. Uh, like I noticed, I was like, oh, like the, a lot, like a lot of like the little detail lines and shading and stuff on her face was changed. You know what? Okay. So th this is a, that's a good place to put, um, you know, the, the one bit of criticism I, I had for Boland, um, is that there's two panels in this. And I think that may be one of them, that Barbara Gordon there, it's uh it's a Barbara Gordon panel, and then also the panel where Joker's wife, you know, in a flashback, is, like, putting out her hands like, oh, I still love you, ha ha ha. They're, like, both of them are, like, a woman smiling, and they look... Old? Like, yeah, and, and kind of disfigured and, and demented. Like, it, it looks disturbing. You know, like, if, if, it, if that was what somebody looked like in a movie, it would be, like, a creepy acid trip scene or something. And the stuff that he cleaned up, like, like in the original one, I was looking at it, like she looked like an old lady, which was kind of weird. And then in the new one, like she definitely did not. It's Interesting. Like, like I'm going to look at it right now. So he may have, you know, looked at it and been like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I see what I did there. And the, you know, the old lines and colors were a lot thicker and uh, you know, like a bit blurrier because just because of the old printing processes. And so like a lot of the new stuff that he did is a lot cleaner because I think they converted it to digital because I guess they had to go back and um, they didn't have the original line art anymore because they'd sold it all. You know, it's all in collector's hands. And yeah. Shit. So they had to go through and uh, basically decolorize it so that he could have line art to work with. Yeah, I was I was always curious how they did that, like if they had the original stats or anything. But uh, that that's one thing that hits me right in the beginning of the book when I'm, when I'm reading that opening scene is the, the lack of, of some of the, the line detail in some of the characters. And it looks like how, you know, in, in some graphic novels that they put out that are recolored or even just like the colors are more rich. Um, you lose some of that line art and I, and I really don't like it. It really bothers me. Yeah. He definitely changed this bad girl. Yeah. Yeah. She looks like I, it struck me. I was like, Whoa, wait, did he change some of the line art? And then I kind of flipped back and forth. Okay, let me let me check the original for this one. It's not much different, but it is a little different. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the other things he did that I that I liked in in the recolored one is uh, he did all the like the memory sequence ones in black and white with like maybe one or two colored objects. Yeah, like the, the shrimp and stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. What are they eating in that first thing? They it looks like tentacles. Do they? Does she have a bowl of tentacles on the table? <laughs> Like, I don't know what the hell that is. Like, I thought they were shrimp at first, but then, like, there's one shot of it, like, hanging out of the bowl. It's like, no, that looks like... like Making she's, some squid. Yeah, she's just got, you know, octopus tentacles in a bowl on the table. And yeah, then, like you do. <laughs> that's the thing he decided to color. It's just fucking weird. Yeah, those are some... I don't know what that is. I weird guess tentacles hanging out. Yeah. What, that's what poor people eat when they're desperate. <laughs> yeah, in Gotham City. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know which one I like better. I like the... My, I think my sensibilities tend towards the the you know the higher detail in the colors the of the of the Boland ones. Yeah, you know the Higgins colors just strike me uh, not garish, but just a bit. No, nah, I mean, the, yeah, they're a bit garish. Yeah, and, and and I you know I don't know just it seems like just coloring an entire character one color. I don't know. I just 
seems a little lazy, but not lazy. Cause I mean, he had like an artistic vision that he was going for and I get yeah. it, but it's very much of its time. It, it, yes, it is. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, like I said, it didn't, it didn't strike me as odd at all when I read it back then. Yeah. Today, like everything I've read recently, no one colors stuff like that anymore or not very many people do. No, nothing I've read recently at least. No, no. And I guess he, he did it all with an airbrush. Yeah, back then, you know, the process was like like a colorist, especially on on these prestige format books when like, you know, like uh, sometimes the colorist would go through and just like paint on yeah. Yeah, on onto onto something, you know, that had like a like a transparent or they they would put a transparency over the paint. You know, kind of like a like a cell thing and then they that's how they would do their uh, their photocopying and printing process from there. Um so a lot of that stuff is super gorgeous from back then, but um yeah, I don't know. It's it's so it's so different now. Everything is so clean and so precise. Well, it's digital. It's so yeah. easy to do, and it's so easy to make changes. I mean, when you're actually like physically painting something, it's a lot of work to do everything. Where it's just it's a lot simpler now. Yeah, it's, you can undo. It's the same thing with drawing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating to me when I'm drawing something in pencil, and you know, I've drawn out like an entire character's body. And then I realize like the head is too small or this arm is too big. I'm like, fuck, if I was doing this digitally, I could just isolate that piece and resize it real quick. Yeah, just scale it up a little bit and yeah. you don't have to redraw it. Oh, it, it's, <laughs> it's great. And it's so frustrating when I can't do that. So now that we've talked about the process, do you want to take a little break and then uh, come back and talk about some of our favorite parts of the story? Yeah, let's do that. I am Leighton. And I am Christy. And this is Cheers to Parenting. A couple's guide to parenthood. On this bi-monthly podcast, we'll pull a topic from our parenting tip jar and then discuss. Using parenting skills we've learned over the years of parenting our three children. Which combined gives us 60 plus years experience with the good, bad, and ugly of parenthood. Perfect kids? Nope. Expert parenting? Absolutely not. But it's worked for us. Give us a listen at anchor.fm slash cheers to parenting pod. Advice from birth. Until you get them off your payroll. All right. Welcome back, Ben. Hey, John. How was your break? Filling. Yeah. Ate myself some KFC. Mmm, some kitchen fresh chicken. Fuck that. Man, how long ago do you think that was now? That was, that was probably like, like 15, decade? 20 years yeah, ago. at least. <laughs> Kitchen fresh. What a stupid idea. Um, all right. So, Killing Joke. We've gone through the process of it. We've gone through our first impressions. We've talked some story points. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk more story points because there's there's a big, great story in there. I mean, kind of big. It's It goes by pretty quick. Like I. Oh, yeah. No shit. One of my concerns going into this was like, is this enough to talk about for a whole episode? But uh, yeah, I think we're going to do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I discovered while taking notes that I was like, holy shit, like I've, I've got a decent amount of, of thoughts on this at least. Cause I, this, this is probably one of my more robust, uh, note taking episodes. So yeah. Uh, if you had a favorite moment in this book, what would you say it is? I think my favorite moment is probably the end. Like the Batman Joker fight goes exactly like I think a Batman Joker fight should. Yeah. It's short and sweet. I mean, you're not going to get in a protracted fist fight between Joker and the Batman. Yeah. Batman's going to whoop his ass. You know, and thinking of it right now, like 
that might, as far as like big story beats goes, that really is the only part we haven't talked about. We talked about the beginning, the flashback, <laughs> Barbara Gordon getting getting shot. So yeah, I mean, there's I guess there's you know Jim Gordon getting run through the 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 torture train where he you know is basically trying to drive him crazy by showing him pictures of his bloodied naked daughter and and just harassing him with crazy songs. Yeah, that's. That's pretty fucked. Yeah. Like, like, he's trying to break Jim Gordon. Yeah, and it seems like he did it, you know, and, until Batman shows up for, for the uh, the big final showdown. And, uh, and I love that, you know, like, Batman goes up and, you know, breaks Gordon out of, the, uh, out of the cage after he's had a little fight with Joker, and Joker's run off into the funhouse. And, you know, like, he sees a naked, broken Jim Gordon... And, you know, he's like, you know, I'll wait here uh, with you until the cops get here. And he's like, like, no, like, go get him and bring him in by the book. Like, we ha- we have to show him our way works. And it's like, you're like, fuck, yeah, Jim Gordon. Like, you will not be driven insane. I, I love it. There, there's been a few stories since then, too, that kind of treads on the same territory, whether it's either Gordon, who's wanting to kill uh, Joker and Batman stops him or Batman, who's wanting to kill Joker and Gordon stops him. And I like that they gave Gordon the strength to not abandon his principles. Yeah. Like that he didn't just break. He didn't let Joker win either. You know, in the end, Gordon's the one that proved Joker wrong. Yeah. And I love uh, during during Batman and Joker's fight, you know, there's not a whole ton of dialogue, but, you know, Joker's gloating that he's driven Gordon insane. And Batman's like, like, I, I was out there with him. Like, he's as sane as he ever was. And so all it proves is that, you know, Maybe it's just you. Like pe- people don't crumble when they when something bad happens. Like it, it was just you the whole time. That's the one time in the book where you see someone get under Joker's skin. Like he loses his control because you know he he sees that he was wrong. Um, and I love in that scene how so much of it um, is done again without dialogue. And they, they start uh, replaying Batman's speech about, you know, you know, it's going to end with one of us killing each other. Like maybe you, maybe me. And I love how, how you're just, you're following that original speech and watching it sort of come to fruition. You're like, oh fuck. Like is, is, is this going to happen? Him? Yeah. Yeah. And then he bursts through the fucking glass and just starts kind of wails on him a little bit. And then it's like the fight's over. Like at that point, like Joker's like, all right, fucking kick my ass. Yeah, kick my ass, and get your standing ovation, or kick the hell out of me and get your standing ovation. I think it was, and and you know, it's it, it was such a such a great moment, you know, that Batman gets to lay it out to him, and like Joker is just sitting there listening with like kind of a frown on his face or a, a solemn look, you know, and he and Batman offers to help him to try to rehabilitate him, and I love that there's one panel, and it's it's such a gorgeous panel, the way the shadows hit Joker's features and everything where he considers it, you know? And, and then he, and he's like, no, he even says, no, I'm sorry. It's too late for that. And you're like, man, like, like in a different world, like this could have, he could have been the next Robin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he tells his, uh, his joke about, about two inmates, you know, escaping from, uh, from the asylum and, and, uh, and one jumps to another rooftop and, and says, you know, the other guy's too scared. He says, I'll shine my flashlight and you can go and you, you can go across. And he says, what, what do you think I am? Crazy? You'd turn it off when I was halfway across. So to be honest, 
I never understood that joke until just recently when I was I was watching a YouTube video that was analyzing the Killing Joke. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, well, and I, I just I mean it's not ex, ex, you know it's not super funny, but well, I, you know, well that that was my thing. I was like, I don't get the joke, but then I I they were saying that on a on a metaphorical sense that it's Joker and Batman breaking out of the asylum. Batman jumps across and he's got the strength to do it, and he's like, "Here, let me help you." And then the one who's scared is Joker. And he's like, I can't do that because if I tried, you might, you might let me down. Oh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. That, I mean, this thing is full of, you know, question marks. Like there's so much analysis. In fact, I'll, I, I was going to bring it up later, but I'll just drop it right now. That um, on YouTube, uh, probably about four or five years ago, there was a three-part um, like analysis of the killing joke and different aspects of it, which I'll, I'll bring up in a second. Um, but it was, the channel was called nerd sync and this guy does such good in-depth analysis analyses of his topics. And like, you know, he brings in like psychologists and or it doesn't bring them in, but like their theories and stuff like yeah. he does a lot of good research and, um, yeah, I would recommend that channel for sure. Yeah. It was, it was there that I, that, that I heard that theory. And then speaking of theories, I want to ask you a question. The very last page, when they're laughing together, mm -hmm. does Batman kill Joker? I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, like, you don't know, because it kind of pans down, you see their feet, and then it just pans away. Um, I mean, there's clearly cops, like, on the way. Like, you could see the lights of the cop cars. So, I mean, is Batman going to just fucking murder Joker in front of the police? I don't know. Uh, my gut says no. Because, like, he not only does he not is no no one's in imminent danger, which is generally what's going to drive him to do it, or he's not in a rage at that point. So it's not like someone really fucks something up and he's going to kill them. Uh, he'd also kind of be get letting letting Gordon down after Gordon, you know, went through hell trying to prove that uh, they're not animals, like the Joker says they are. So I, I would think, no, he didn't, um, but it is, it is left a bit ambiguous for very much deliberately. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, from the very first time years ago, when somebody, when, when I heard that theory and saw those panels and how like, you know, it pans down and then all of a sudden Joker's laughter just stops. Like, like that, that was like the, the thing that, that got everybody going, like, did Batman kill him? Cause the last time you see them together, like Batman like has his hands yeah. like on his shoulders or his neck, you know, are they just, is he just bracing himself against Joker because they're laughing as the cops show up or is he doing something, you know? So like, I love the idea you know, that Batman decides in that moment, you know, that like he tried to reach out and reason with the Joker, saw that it wasn't going to happen and had to make that decision. Yeah, I think it's yeah, cool. Before and, he hurts anyone else. It's yeah. weird that Batman's laughing while he murders Joker. That's a bit weird. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that Batman's laughing. Yes. It's, well, yeah, exactly. But like laughing while murdering someone. I mean, like, I mean, I guess if the Joker was going to go out, that's probably how he'd want to go. <laughs> yeah. And um, so th that's something that that uh, that the Nerd Sync channel on one of the episodes goes over. Um, actually, it may have it may go over two different episodes. Um, and it goes into a couple different theories and like one, uh, brings up when Grant Morrison was on fat man on Batman talking to Kevin Smith, like Grant Morrison's just like, 
what are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm not going to try to do his, his Scottish accent, but he's like, he absolutely killed the Joker. Like you, you saw it happen. Like that was the point of it. And that this was supposed to be, you know, a standalone story. And it was written to be the last Batman and Joker story. It's like, for fuck's sake, I called it the killing joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, reportedly that was debunked. Um, and, and you can, you can watch that, that, uh, that YouTube documentary on it. Cause apparently like it was planned on being in continuity. Like they set up Batgirl retiring in comic books before this, for this story. And clearly Joker shows up afterwards. So I well, mean, Batman didn't kill him. No one stays dead. There's, there's another theory that, um, I mean, I don't have the visuals, so I'll, I'll just bring it up, uh, and you can go watch the documentary on it, but there's like a panel, like, like when, when Batman and Joker are having the fight and Joker is like pulling out his little stabby needle thing and Batman kicks it out of his hand. So Joker then like, like pulls the mask over his face and then yeah. like whacks him with a board and Batman sort of stumbles. And there's like two panels where Batman, Batman's got his back to the audience. He's looking down. And then in the next two panels, he's looking at his hand and like he, in the, in the second one, he catches Joker, like coming up to stab him, but he's looking into his hand. Oh yeah. And this theory, I can't remember the guy who, who brought it up, but they cite him in, in the, uh, in the, I think it was like Julian something that's, or Julius. I don't know. Um, he posits that Batman picked up the needle and then when he grabs onto Joker at the end, he stabs him with the needle. Uh, and that's either him killing Joker or Joker having been, you know, using his own toxin to, yeah. to be immune to it. It could paralyze him, you know, cause it, cause it paralyzed that guy earlier in the story, which by the way, is one of my favorite parts in that when he buys the, the fucking derelict, amusement park from that guy and shakes his hand and then and then you just don't hear anything out of the dude there's a couple panels of joker still talking to him you know telling him about how you know oh he's already bought the place like don't worry about it and then it shows the guy and he's just got that yep. rictus grin and fucking he's dead on that little rocking toy one thing i didn't like about the recolor is that he's uh you know sitting there on the little rocking thing like, like he's got the joker face the white face and the fucking red lips and all that which seems like a weird thing for a little poison thing to do to you, but yeah. Whereas in the original, he was just like fucking blue. Like his, I mean, his entire body was blue. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, single color. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it makes a little more sense that acid could do that sort of stuff to you, but not like an internal reaction, which they've done in comics and you know cartoons and shit, where you know they have like Joker toxin that makes people look like Joker. Like that's been a thing. Yeah. But I always thought it was kind of a hokey thing. Yeah. And th there's this story is, by and large, not hokey. No. This is a very down-to-earth kind of story. So, I mean, personally, I love the idea that Batman kills Joker there. But it doesn't actually matter. Because, I mean, it's it, like you said, it's so ambiguous, you can believe what you want to believe. It can be out of continuity, and Batman did kill Joker. But I, I was really interested this, this whole time, like leading up to the episode, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to ask Ben this question. Like, I, I want to <laughs> see what, what somebody who hasn't been, who hasn't immersed themselves in that idea thinks of it. Yeah, it just seems a bit out of character to me for Batman to kill him at that point. I mean, like, it, it's just such a, uh, a departure from standard Batmanitude. Yeah. All right. So you want to talk about this animated movie? Yeah, yeah, we probably should, because it's, like, <laughs> the other thing. Like I said earlier, like, when I was worried that maybe we wouldn't have enough to talk to, it's like, man, it's only a fucking 48-page book. Like, is that a whole episode? 
Uh, I think they had the same thought. And they were like, if we do this, it's going to be like 30 minutes long. And that's about how long the actual portion that was killing joke was. Maybe, yeah. maybe 40 minutes. No, yeah, it was, it was just about that. It was just over half. Yeah. I know this because when I went back to watch it this last time, I decided to watch it from where the graphic novel starts. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I haven't watched it since it was brand new. Like, we all know the debacle that was this movie. Like, it was such a huge fucking deal back in the day that, you know, that they were going to do the killing joke. Mark Hamill had retired from doing the Joker, and he said, like, the only way he'd come back was if they were doing the killing joke. He may have even said, like, if they were doing it R-rated. Or maybe he said, like, doing it justice. But this, I mean... This was also the first R-rated Batman animated movie. Like, they've done several of them now. Oh, was they've, it really? Yeah. yeah like, okay. This is the first time DC or Warner Brothers Animation went R-rated. And everybody was so fucking stoked. Because if you're going to do that for anything, it's the fucking killing joke. As we already stated, it's not for kids. So I wonder if they were just like, you know what? It's R-rated R. We have to have sex in it, right? That's what rated R movies have, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. So to address the the second half of it first, the actual portrayal of the story, not bad. They made some just some choice choices here to kind of alter a few things and, 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 you know, whatever. But by and large, like a lot of the dialogues lifted right out of the book. Straight from a it. A lot of the framings lifted right out uh-huh. of the book. So they, they did a pretty good job adapting the book, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, with with um, a lot of these animated movies, at least early on, they were trying to take like a comic book story and sort of do it in that artist's style. Like they did it with Ed McGinnis's style in, um, in Public Enemies and Michael Turner's style with the Supergirl one. But you cannot do Boland's style justice animated. Like it, it's well, so highly enough. detailed. Like there's no yeah. way you could do it. And, um, you know, I'm... I'm understanding about that. I think where it fell a little short for me was just that it seemed a little cheap, you know, especially in the flashback scenes, like the lines of, of the characters and everything, like it just seemed chunky and rushed, you know, and, and not like really fluidly animated. Like earlier today, I was watching, um, Batman mask of the phantasm with, uh, with my little girl. That thing is fucking gorgeous. You know, like it is so just smooth, like animation back then, even on the TV series was so good. They didn't cut any corners, but you know, they also had the budget for it back then, I guess. Yeah. If you were going to put the budget on anything, this would have been a good one. I mean, I, they had the budget to add 40 fucking minutes of trash to the beginning of it. Yeah. I would have rather have seen 30, 40 minutes of just what it was and just been happy with it being 30 minutes long. Yeah. And it's not and, a long story. You know, and, and they could have taken more time in the actual like meat and potatoes killing joke story and like created a little more atmosphere, you know, like they didn't have to just run through the scenes as if it's, you know, you're reading the book in real time. Like, like they, they could have lingered on things longer for, for dramatic tension or something like it didn't have to be compressed that much. Well, they, they did add some stuff to it here and there. Like they added the weird storage unit scene where they walk in and there's like the, the dentist convention people that that all have like Joker smiles and there's like a, like a little stand up thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where where it was like a courtroom thing. Right. Or is that, or is that something else? It looked like it was like a stand up stage. Like it had a microphone at the front. Like someone was telling jokes to the four dead people in the room. 
Oh, oh, okay. No, I was thinking of something else. Yeah, at the very beginning. And I don't really know what that was meant to add to the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, like they did add some other, like, yeah, the courtroom thing with, with Gordon, where he's, you know, describing the charges and then, oh, it's Batman, not me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And then they, they like extended, they had like all the freaks, the freaks attack Batman. Like he went through and like punched them all out one by one. Yeah. Which see, that know, was welcome for yeah, me. Yeah. More Batman action. A little bit of action. Yeah. It didn't take away from the story. But, the, and then they, the, the one that, that I did make a note of those, they, they changed the fucking fight at the end. Yeah. Like they, they encountered each other earlier than they did in the comic and Joker just like wails on Batman for like 40 seconds. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, no (laughs) yeah and that upside down room scene too yeah wait a minute yeah he's just kicking batman's ass for whatever reason for a while and saying a bunch of the stuff that he said before batman got to him in the comic yeah yeah and i guess maybe they just wanted a little bit more action but in hand-to-hand combat joker's not really gonna get the upper hand on batman unless he unless he like squirts him with the flower and burns him or something you know does something to give himself time to get away but he's not going to beat Batman in a fist fight. No. And one of the things they changed that, that bugged me was the, uh, the aforementioned deal scene, you know, where they're making the deal for the amusement park in the, uh, in the cartoon, they like, you know, they have them shake hands, but then they like jokers, you know, when he's telling them about how his, his, uh, his people already signed the deal for the, uh, for the amusement park or whatever, they had the guy that it, that had shaken his hand react to it. And that really bothered me because it took away from the creepiness that was in the comic book. You realize that they shake hands like the second that needle touches the other guy's hand, he's paralyzed and he's dead if, yeah. or, or at least dying. Yeah. And like, like I was saying before, like in the in the comic book. You just see the back of the guy. Like you, you can't. You don't know that that's happened yet. And he goes on like two or three more panels talking to him. Yeah, but in the animated movie, they have the guy go like, "Wait, what?" Is or something like that before that happens. And it's like, so why didn't the guy react to getting stabbed in the hand? And like, like you know, I, I don't know. It just it deflated that little scene for yeah. me, which which was such a a good little scene, you know, in for me in the in the original book. I think the other thing that they changed about it that the the feel of it it's it's more of a batman story yeah like it it follows batman the, adds some of those other little scenes where you're clearly following batman looking for the joker not following the joker doing what he's doing and, yeah. and seeing batman do some stuff yeah because they they definitely added a lot of like batman punching people trying to find joker yeah yeah, and, and it, talking to hookers that are like, oh, yeah, we usually see him after yeah. he breaks out. Joker needs to fuck, you know? I was like, wait, what? Well, yeah, exactly. I thought, yeah, I was like, wait, wait, really? <laughs> the first thing Joker does when he gets out of Arkham is get some hookers. And those hookers are like, yeah, we fuck Joker. I don't know. Like, even if he did go do that, I don't, I don't think the hookers fucking anyone else after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably dead. It'd be like hookers who encounter you in GTA. Yeah, they don't survive. I don't know what kind of kinks Joker's into, but you don't want to know either. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to find out. So I guess the uh, the gorilla in the room is the first thirty minutes, where it is it's a it's a Batgirl story where they go after Paris Franz. Oh, is that his name? Yeah. See, I I have I I haven't watched it since it was brand new. 
Um, and I even gave my Blu-ray to Casey. I think it was Casey Thomas, actually, who we had on the Mortal Kombat episode. He, he, I think if if it wasn't him, it was someone else, but they were going to borrow it from me. And I was like, eh, just keep it. You know, I don't need it. Like I said, I think it was just put there to pad runtime. Yeah. It's really the only purpose because it didn't play into the story at all other than explaining to the audience that Batman cares about Jim and Barbara Gordon, but I think we all knew that. Yeah. We, did, we didn't fucking need our hands held to say, oh, yes, this is why Batman's concerned about Barbara Gordon, because they boinked. Yeah, and I was I was trying to think of, like, a reason why they would need a Batgirl story, and, and like, I thought, like, maybe because, you know, like, in the comic books, they had set up her retirement, you know, in, in as Batgirl leading up to the comic book, so maybe it's like, okay, this is her last adventure, and then she retires, and then it makes it a little more um impactful that that even though she's retired like now is when she gets fucked but oh i mean fucked up by the joker yeah she got fucked before she retired (laughs) oh that was so weird i i can't remember if i'd heard about that beforehand or not i feel like i did because it like premiered at a big convention somewhere and everyone was just like what the fuck is going on here and back then i was definitely a glutton for spoilers i mean i guess maybe there's some some parallels between the two because uh you know she loses her shit at the end and and you know maybe almost beats that guy to death and uh kind of saying like you know the whole you're you're at the edge of the abyss now you know this is batman's been there he's wanted to kill somebody and not done it but then that leads into the story where maybe he killed the joker i I think it was like i said it was just there to pad runtime and uh, it wasn't necessarily a great or compelling story and it got weird yeah i mean and if you if you've got hbo max and you want to watch the killing joke animated skip to the to skip the whole batgirl thing i i enjoyed it more this time like for sure yeah because it's not a bad telling of the story yeah on, on the second half yeah i would agree with that and and you had kevin conroy and mark hamill in the roles you know so it's classic i, I wasn't a big fan of the actor who played jim gordon i don't remember who it was he doesn't have a heck of a lot of lines, though, so, I mean... Yeah, they made an impact when he did. A couple odd things that, that struck me as I watched it. In the first half, when she's back at, like, the mob boss headquarters and, like, she's, like, running to the elevator, I was like, why would Batgirl take the elevator? Jump out a window. And then, uh, Batman comes out of the elevator. Like, wait, why did Batman take the elevator? <laughs> <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Why would... Save time and money uh, so you don't have to animate capes flapping. <laughs> like, really? He, he thinks something's going on? He's just going to take the elevator up? But Yeah, but and, and he'd definitely be sitting on top of the elevator. Come on, he's Batman. What if, what if a bad guy shows up there with a gun? <laughs> and uh, the, uh, like, two, two changes to, like, the killing joke side that I noticed, too, were that at the very end scene there, when he, when he reaches out for Joker and it pans down... There are no cop lights of cop cars coming towards him. Yeah. So uh, they, I, they must have been a deliberate choice to like make that more ambiguous. Did he kill him? Yeah, I take guess. Take in front of the police murdering somebody thing. I don't know. Yeah, and and in that scene, like Kevin Conroy laughing is not an appealing sound. It's weird. Yeah, I it mean, just. It it sounds about as weird as Batman. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I it's appropriately awkward. <laughs> yeah. And the other disappointing thing was they took out the average man little monologue that uh, Joker did. Like he mentions it, but it's 
it's to Batman. He's like, uh, behold the average man. But that's it. Oh. That's all he says. And then Batman starts beating people up. But in the comic, he's saying that to like the freaks. He's just like monologuing to them because. Oh, okay. You know, and he goes through the whole thing about, you know, his thing about what the average man is. You know, he's pitiful and, you know, he's always chasing after something and whatnot. And like, I thought that was a cool little speech and they just cut it from. Mm-hmm. They also cut the midget joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, about, about how, you know, when he went in, he was 16 years old, and this guy was a, was a basketball player or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Notice they just, they just left that out. Yeah. Um, you know, some things that, that the animated movie did well was some of the visuals that they adapted. Like, like what I talked about in the beginning when Batman first goes into, into Arkham Asylum and Joker's sitting there in the shadows. Like, they animated that face like it was directly from the comic book. And it was just as fucking creepy. I think that whole scene was like panel for panel yeah. from the comic. You know, he walks in, passes Harvey Gordon. Dent. It, it, oh, yeah. It, and, he, and you know, Gordon hands off his coffee. He goes past the receptionist, goes down the hallway, past Two-Face. Fucking, it was almost exactly like the book. Yeah. And I think I think they felt they needed to do that. And I agree with that assessment. Because, I mean, in the comic book, there is a shit ton of panels telling that story. It uses that nine-panel format that I'm not a huge fan of. Oh, yeah, like the Watchmen grid? Yeah, like, it's it's okay. It wasn't as bad reading it in that, that 30th anniversary book, you let me, because it's huge. <laughs> yeah, So yeah. it doesn't feel like... And and they didn't stick to it as, like, religiously. Like, like they would do bigger panels here and there and, and show stuff. There still wasn't... I don't know if there's any, like, splash pages, but... But there are like ones where like there is a big, you know, a couple big panels occasionally. Yeah. And uh, when there needs to be. But like like the the three Jokers one, like, I mean, it was a lot of just nine panel pages. I, I feel like I'm reading a two inch by three and a half inch comic book. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I, I want it bigger. Yeah. And another thing I really liked in this flick was the tune that they put to Joker's song when when yeah. when he's trying to drive Gordon insane because when you're reading the comic like it's just big word balloons then you see rhymes there and stuff but there's no tune you can't really like it's not it's not written out in like stanzas like if you're reading a Dr. Seuss book or something you know where you can like feel a rhythm to it yeah you kind of put a melody in your head of some sort but then but then it doesn't quite match up on yeah. the next verse you know because you're just kind of making it up as you go along yeah and so when you hear the actual song and you know having just read the book before watching that you know like they they use the words yep. and it, and it worked really well it was a fun tune uh mark hamill's joker is always entertaining um one thing actually speaking of mark hamill that i've that i've really just decided is a fact is mark hamill doesn't know how to act sad because when he's doing a flashback scene <laughs> as uh, as the deadbeat comedian, and he's like, "Oh, you you think I don't care?" Blah, like, it took me right back to like the fucking like, "No, it's not true. It's impossible." <laughs> no! <laughs> like, he's not good at at acting sad, and and he is such a talented motherfucker. With with voice acting, especially. I mean, I I haven't seen much of his live action stuff. There, he did Star Wars, and I remember watching Corvette Summer years ago. But um, I don't know. I don't I don't know a lot of his live action work. His but... Joker is the Joker, as far as oh, I'm man. concerned. Like that's the voice I read the whole comic in. Like anytime I'm reading Joker, it's in Mark Hamill's voice. Yep. 
And watching Mask of the Phantasm earlier, it was fun hearing an earlier Mark Hamill Joker. And it, you know, he, he, he did sound a little bit younger, but I mean, it was still just, it was all there. You know, like his Joker is a fully fleshed out character. But yeah, I think that's about it for, for me for the animated movie. I'm trying to think about, did they, did they use the same Batmobile design that they used in, they didn't use the same one that they used in the comic, right? Because the comic has the one with like the big bat face on the front of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it almost had like kind of a locomotive look yeah. to it, like had those tubes on it. See, I don't remember seeing, I don't, think, I, I don't remember what the Batmobile in the animated movie looked like. I don't think it was that, yeah. at least not in the beginning part with Batgirl. I don't think because there was a lot of Batmobile in that. Oh, okay. And there was less Batmobile later other than when he pulls up to the fucking carnival. But I don't think it was the same one. I, that one's kind of cheesy. Yeah. As far as Batmo- Batmobiles go, but uh, I like it. It's almost out of place in that book because it's like the cheesiest thing in that book is that fucking bat-faced Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's got like angry eyes, like the headlights look like angry eyes. Yeah, and it's got like a, like a pointy <laughs> nose that sticks out yeah. on the face. Yeah, it was, it was definitely of a time. Yeah. Was that the Batmobile at that time too? Not, like, not it, at that time, no. Yeah, that was like the, the like 60s Batmobile or like... Yeah, probably maybe, earlier, maybe than, earlier that. than that, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the old Batmobile. Yeah. Because I remember, like, the Bat plane looked the same. Yes. Yeah. And probably the copter, too, at some point. So I we we could talk a, a couple of uh, other uh, things that were influenced by, by Killing Joke. You know, some things that came out of it real quick. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to say. But, you know, it was interesting you brought up um, Jack Nicholson's Joker being something different and you know like the bumbling you know goofy joker and i've heard that a lot but for some reason to me i've always felt like like jack nicholson's joker pulled a lot from you know what i love about killing joke joker because like he is he is a ham he's a super ham he loves his puns he loves his tricks but like if you think about the moments when he really gets sinister like when he does the joy buzzer thing on the mob meeting or like the crow quill pen, you know, like, like he's got these, these gimmicks that, um, that are still deadly and sinister. And, and, you know, like he has those moments too, when, when, you know, like things are going wrong for him and he's just like, Bob gun, Bob hands him the gun and he shoots him. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't know if you're going to survive that Joker. Like may, maybe he was, you know, he did pull a bit more Romero than, uh, than, than killing joke. He definitely killed the shit out of some people in that movie. Yeah. In like, like really frying, gruesome, terrible fashion. Yeah, frying that mob boss is fucking rad. <laughs> like, that shit was legit. Yeah. <laughs> I I guess maybe it's kind of, spo- like, the the memory of the that stuff is kind of overwritten by the, the end of the movie, where it's less of that and more goofiness, like uh, the whole parade sequence and yeah. then pulling a giant gun out of his pants and shooting down the, the bat wing. You know, and I was just thinking in the moment here, like maybe the the awesome, serious, terrifying um, moment that was him gassing the museum and killing everybody was sort of undercut by Prince's Party Man right after yeah. that. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for that soundtrack, though, too. That was one of the first tapes I ever bought. So every once in a while, I'll throw that soundtrack on. I love it. <laughs> um, and, you know, you mentioned it earlier. Got three Jokers. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the panel layout was definitely taking taking inspiration. Uh, unfortunately, they they did not get Alan Moore to write that one. Yeah, this this one was clearly supposed to be the spiritual successor to uh, to the Killing Joke, 
and boy did it botch it i mean one of one of the jokers was definitely killing joke joker you know so it it placed it firmly in continuity um but i think the one of the biggest things that bothered me is that the big stinger at the end of three jokers is that killing joke joker is the last surviving joker and he is definitely the joker his wife didn't die Bruce Wayne spirited her away to Alaska. Yeah, where she's got the Joker's kid. Okay, so Bruce Wayne clearly must know who the Joker is because he's got contact with this lady. Yeah, you can just ask her. Yeah. So wh- what was his name? Yeah. Do you have and, any baby photos? And and I'm sure she would have told him Joker's name. So assuming that that is true, if this is all in continuity, then... Batman would have known who the Joker was. I mean, or maybe he found out just after killing joke or during killing joke. But for Jeff Johns's whole fucking thing that led to the three Jokers was Batman sitting on the Mobius chair, which holds all the knowledge of the universe and asking who is the Joker. Yeah. In Jeff Johns's own setup to his story is undercut by his ending. Yeah. It is, it is negated. You know, well, and did Bruce Wayne spirited her away when she died? Like, why did she not die? Like, did she fake her death? That's the only thing I could I could assume from... Uh... And then he found out about it later? If he took her away then, he knew who Joker was the whole time. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense oh, at yeah, all. Oh, yeah, because that was before the Joker was even created. Yeah. Like, why would he have done that then? And I mean, it's just... And I, and I can kind of understand, like, his remembrance of it is probably twisted and fucked up. Like, it, maybe it was a horribly abusive relationship that she just needed to get the fuck out of. You know, it wasn't like it was portrayed in The Killing Joke. True. Because it was Joker telling the story. Yeah, because he's fucking nuts. So, um, you know, maybe she tried to get away. and and But at some point, he clearly figured out who she was. I don't know why else he would be keeping her safe in Alaska. Yeah. So, also, the thing that bothered me about that story is that uh, fucking... It just had no teeth and no consequences and nothing fucking changed or happened at the, like you got to the end of the book and it's like, Hey, everything's exactly the same as it was at the beginning of this book. Yeah. Except the interesting thing that there are three jokers is no longer a thing. So don't, you know, like, like, like I've said on this show before, it, it was like the, the entire three jokers thing was, was meant to say, don't worry about there being three jokers. Yeah. And it's just, and, and it's, it's out of continuity. So they could have done fucking anything they wanted and they did nothing. Yeah. They ended it like it was in continuity and they couldn't really fuck with the rest of the universe. Yeah. Which I think was probably the directive because Jeff Johns, I don't think he's been as, as strong of a force in DC comics. Like, I don't think he's, he's got the same clout that he, that he once did, but I think, you know, maybe it was sort of like a Snyderverse thing where people are like, no, this, this thing has to be resolved. So, but I mean, but it's but it was recognized as out of I mean it was never meant to be in continuity. I don't know if that's true. I mean maybe back when it was conceptual, but like when it came out, it was pretty clear that it wasn't in continuity. Are you sure? I think so. That's what I remember hearing. Hmm. I don't know. Eh? I mean, it may as well be because who gives a shit? Because it means nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was an out of continuity story to wrap up a dangling plot thread that was in continuity. Yeah. Ugh. I mean. It had about as much impact as if they'd made, like, Batman wipes his butt on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I bet he does. I wanted to go back and read them, but, like, I, I remember you handing them back to me, but I don't remember where I put them. 
I may have just put them in the stack of comic books in my garage that I will get rid of someday because I've always got one of those going. Yeah. So your kids may end up with it. <laughs> Poor bastards. Yeah. It just, uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I guess the, the, the one other, you know, external or thing that was influenced by this uh, in a good way this time was um, Heath Ledger's Joker plot in The Dark Knight. How like, even though it wasn't like, like he does bring up, you know, like the, like a one bad day sort of scenario. He's also got like a multiple choice history Yes, yeah, because he keeps telling the story differently every time. Yeah, how he got these scars, and like you know, his whole plan. Well, I mean, he's got a bunch of different plans or non-plans or whatever, but trying to show that even like the purest person can be corrupted in Harvey Dent, and then also and the prisoners yes. on the boat and shit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that was at least in some of the attitude or the spirit of it. Like his his the. I feel like like it was influenced by uh, by the Killing Joke. Yeah, and I, except this time Joker brought the you know one of us is going to have to kill the other thing to Batman instead of Batman coming up with it. Hey, you know that's a good point, and I I, I love that little speech of his at the end. Yeah, I love it. Um, whew. Yeah, I, I think we talked a long time. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's go on to favorite use in pop culture. Okay. You want me to start? Yes. Okay. Um, we we touched briefly on this uh, at the at the beginning of the show. Like, what do we do with something like this? Um, you know, like so many other things, this is sort of its own its own place in pop culture. So, um, my favorite use then is just going to be the comic book. But I'm going to pinpoint a uh, a version of it. Um, as much as I love the John Higgins colors, I think my favorite version of this to own and to look at is. Um, the Batman noir version of this. So those graphic novels are just straight up black and white, no shadow or anything. They just, they strip it down to the line art. And with, with a book like this, it totally works because there are so many little minute details in Bolin's artwork. And, you know, like, honestly, I've probably read this comic more times than any other single comic book. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Like this one is so re-readable for me like a lot of other comic books i keep and i'll look through them tons but like this one i just love to read alan moore's writing is so great brian boland's artwork is so fucking gorgeous his batman and his joker are are perfect so when that came out like i i think at the at the time i had the original version and then i had the deluxe version that came out in 2008 and then I bought this one. Like I had three versions because they were all different. They all offered something different. Um, and then after I got the uh, the absolute edition, I got rid of the deluxe. So I still only have three. But I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know if there's any other book that I've got three different versions of because I I mean I I fucking love them and, and and feel like you actually need them. Yeah, yeah. And just like with the absolute edition, the noir thing um, throws in some of the extra little uh, little short stories that uh, that Boland did, and um, they are all gorgeous. So that's that's my favorite use in pop culture. That's better than anything I've got because I mean, <laughs> there's there's not really that many uses in pop culture of it's this true. thing. I mean, like not that I can think of. Maybe there's some great pop culture references out there. The movie certainly isn't. <laughs> so i mean all i really got is that uh fucking the 30th anniversary like ultimate edition that you lent me to read that thing's fucking rad yeah it's got it's got the the recolor it's got the original and the, it's cool the original's actually printed on like 
like newsprint type paper, like old comic paper. Yeah, it's got texture. Which is it's just neat. So it soaks the colors up the right way. Mm-hmm. Maybe the glossy pages would, you know, look a little different. It's got the script from the original, which uh, I didn't get to read all the way through. Uh, but I think it's longer than the freaking book. <laughs> it's, I think it, that's accurate. It's it's like most of that book. If there's any one thing in that book that takes up most of the pages, it's the fucking script, which is insane. Yeah, and Alan Moore is notorious for writing super high-detailed scripts and treatments. Yeah, it's got two full pages before it even gets to panel one, page one. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I, I know from, from reading a treatment that Alan Moore did for a different project is, like, even when he's just, like, writing, like, speaking to the editor, setting up his project, he still writes really well. Yeah. Like, he's fun to read. And from what I did read, like, I mean... I think he is also picturing the book in his head as he's writing it. Yeah. Like he's got a pretty good idea. Like he, like he is doing like panel one, page one, this, you know, here's the kind of the framing. This is what I, what he's imagining it to look like. Yeah. And he's describing in detail the things that are happening. And, you know, I yep. wonder how much of, how much of uh, that goes into the killing joke because I'm glad this happened because I, I didn't find, I forgot to mention it earlier, but I, I didn't find the place, but I love how in some panels or some sequences, there are concurrent stories running and they, they are consistent. Like, like, uh, in, in the flashback when Joker's like drinking at the bar and the cops are coming in to, to tell him that his wife died. Like there are a couple panels where the focus is on the police, you know, and, and, and Joker's still talking to the guys in the background. Yeah. Oh, and then when it's, when the focus is back on, on Joker, you can see like the story of the cops talking to the bartender, the bartenders it's pointing like over there. Him, yeah. yeah. Like that story is progressing. And, um, I was reading the, the fight with uh, Joker and Batman at the end and Joker squirts him with acid. And I, you know, I, I hadn't ever paid attention. I looked at, at Joker's hand. I'm like, what is he squirting with? Cause it's not a flower. I think I was just assumed it was a flower. No, it's like a little bulby thing. Yes. And I, and I was like, what the fuck is that? I look in the previous panel where Batman is tackling Joker and Joker's actually pulling the top off of his cane in that panel. Oh. So it's the cane top that, that he, that he uses. And I, I, yeah, I love watching, watching things happening concurrently. Like there, that's a level of detail that I certainly don't have going on in, in, uh, in my comic books right now, but maybe I should. Maybe I need to learn some things from the masters. Yeah, well, that's the, why they're the masters. <laughs> yeah. Um, final thoughts? Yeah, one word review. Oh, shit. You got one? No. Uh, fuck it. Jokerific. <laughs> what the fuck ever? <laughs> Love that Joker. Um, I have a couple half-baked ideas bobbling around, but been doing all this talking and listening and not actually devoting any brain power to solving the problem well i appreciate it and hopefully our listeners will too you know what okay this this isn't going to have like any super layers and it's not clever but i'm i'm going to call this one deep yeah because there's there's a lot of batman and joker stories there's a lot of stories of Joker being crazy and killing people or being goofy and goofing off and Batman punching Joker a bunch and going, should I kill him? I don't know. But this one really took the time to make you care about, about the question of like, why are we doing this? Can we keep doing this? I don't want to keep doing this. And are we inevitably, you know, going somewhere? Is there a thing I can do to stop this? You know, again, like, with it being bookended 
of sorts with with Batman's speech about, you know, one day one of us is going to kill the other and I don't want that. And, you know, so he, he says it in the beginning, then it's echoing when he's walking through the uh, through the fun house. And then with the end, with him actually reaching out to Joker and Joker considering it like that is that is the most brilliant fucking thing that just it just tickles my pickle. I don't know what, what to say about it, but th- that that one panel was the most brilliant thing they could have done in that moment. And to have Joker say, I'm sorry, but no, it's too late. Like he considers it. And, and there, there's such, there's such depth and humanity to these characters that can so easily be one note, especially Joker. Like it, it really fleshes him out to the degree that he's, you know, the origin is there not so much to tell you where Joker came from, because it's not that much different, but it's to show you that, you know, he's also a human. Like yeah. he, he's, he is a real person and he was a real person that faced some fucking terrible, something terrible. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what drove him to be what he is now. And it, it kind of, it puts what he's doing and all his actions in a bit of a different light. Yeah. Like you don't sympathize with him, no. but, but you understand him a little more. Yeah. And like, like, even though, even though he's insane, he's aware of what he's doing. Like, yeah. like he knows what's, what's what. And, you know, he's trying to prove a point. And I don't know, this, this was just, yeah, this, this was a deeper story than most, you know, little comic book adventures. And I think that's why I love it so much. Yeah. You know, that's why I can reread it over and over again. Nice. No, that was good. (laughs) Fucking nailed it. I I was thinking along similar lines. So I'm, I'm going to go with, um, ambiguous. Okay. Or yes. Yeah. Ambiguous because like we talked about at the end, like, did he kill him? Did he not? It gives an origin for Joker, but is is it really an origin for Joker? I mean, he's a self-ascribed, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Uh, even in the book, you know? And so, sure, it's telling you this story about his, about his origins, and it roughly lines up with the little bit we knew before this was out, but is, is that even accurate? Is, like... It's it's told through the lens of him pitying himself and feeling bad for what he had. Like maybe he was a total fucking shithead, and you know she had to get away. And I never even thought of that. I like that. And uh, so it's like it tells this story, but it's full of holes. Essentially, I mean not not like plot holes, but like uncertainty. Yeah. As to you know what is real and what's actually going on, and and why are things happening, and uh, and and I think that just makes it. a a bit more interesting and you know you can reread it a few times because there's little nuggets and kernels that you can pick up on over time and uh it's fucking rad yeah and i would i would definitely uh reiterate you know for anybody interested in in more you know depth to this uh go watch that that nerd sync video series on this it's really cool yeah and, and if you listen through this whole thing and you haven't read the killing joke yet uh Go do it. I mean, even though we've totally told you everything that happened in it at this point, it's still worth a read. Like, I, I knew everything that was going to happen in it last time I read it, and uh, I still enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah, so. should should we should we record a, a disclaimer to go on the beginning? No. It's fucking 30 years old. Man. I know, but like, <laughs> please go read this. It'll be better. I mean... Whatever. That's true with anything we talk about. Yeah. If you haven't seen it or read it or, or played it, uh, then... Uh, 
you, you know, sure, our sterling and uh, engaging personalities will get you through the episode, but uh, you'll get more out of it if you know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you for uh, accompanying us along this uh, this fun house of uh, graphic novel goodness. If you want to let us know what you thought of today's episode or any other episode, hit us up. Uh, you can email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can find us on the social medias, Facebook, Geeksploration, the podcast page, Twitter, Geeksplore Pod, or Instagram at Geeksploration Podcast. You could give us a call, and we wish you would, at 916-ORC-TURD. That is 916-O-R-C-T-U-R-D, and uh, we'll play your call on the show as long as you're not a racist, and um, we'll respond to you about whatever you want, this or anything else. You can ask us how I make my famous homemade chicken pot pie, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. It's not that famous. I only did it once, but it was delicious. Yeah, you should do it again. I'll eat some chicken pot pie. That I bought pie crust just the other mm, night. I'm doing fantastic. it. Uh, and if you enjoyed uh, this episode, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts or maybe Podchaser and give us a five creepy baby doll throne review. And we still got uh, merch available at shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. Yeah, some new designs coming. I've, I've done a, a few episode art uh, things the of the last, I don't know, two years. <laughs> that uh that uh seem like they could go on t-shirts so be sure you're or be sure to check up on that yeah hell yeah and uh we're members of the geekly grind podcast network fuck yeah we are go check them out at the geeklygrind.com and our theme song as always is cruising for goblins by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com and remember if we're gonna have a past we'd prefer it to be multiple choice 